Isn't this sanctuary beautiful, you guys? I love this sanctuary. You know, a couple of years ago when we were in the process of of discerning whether we wanted to buy this or whether this was supposed to be our church facility, I couldn't envision this, honestly. When, I, when we came in the first time and we walked through, I thought, there, I, don't, I don't see it. And then we, we got an architect involved, and um, they had some artist renderings of it, and I still had my doubts, to be honest with you. I thought, you know, have you ever seen those artist renderings and gone, uh, that looks really nice, but the reality will never reach that? Well, that's, that's what I feared for this. And I'm telling you, I think it's even more beautiful than the pictures. What do you guys think? When the, the thing that I noticed um, the most when I walk in here is that cross right there. Um, the architects, again, they had a vision. They, you've noticed the round windows that are in the original architecture. The, the architects had a vision of taking a traditional cross and, those, and melding it kind of with those, with those round windows. And my friend... Kevin Van Orney took the vision that they had, and um, that's what he created. And we got a little video of it being put up. If you guys want to go ahead and put that up, it was uh, it was it was a it was something trying to get that up and in place. And as you can see, they're fast workers, right? <laughs> yeah, Kevin, if you work that fast, there's a lot of people that just want you to come to their house and. It, was, uh, it is a beautiful thing. You all know that, that um, the cross, in general, is the symbol of our faith, right? And when we think of our cross, or any cross for that matter, the things, the words that pop to mind are things like beautiful, and life, and hope, second chances, right? And that is what the cross is synonymous with all over the world today. But of course, you know, I'm sure, that it, always, it hasn't always been that way. That for centuries, when people thought of the cross, words like punishment and death and shame came to mind. For many, many centuries, multiple cultures used the cross um, to punish people. But it, was, it really wasn't for everybody. The truth of the matter is, most of the time, the cross was used as a deterrent. It was saved for, for rabble-rousers, for rebels, for uh, agitators. Anybody that kind of wanted to upset the status quo in a culture or in a society, they saved the cross as an instrument of death and punishment for them. And they would often line the roads coming into a city with people hanging on these crosses as if to say to anybody who might have kind of that nefarious uh, idea of being a rabble-rouser, don't go there or you'll end up here, right? The cross was um, a very different thing back then than it is today. Something happened to, to transform it, Right? And we know what that something is, but, but this morning what I want to do is I want to delve more deeply into what that something or someone is. Um, last week, as, as uh, Pastor Billy started us on a journey, as you may remember, um, we, this whole year, um, other than during a couple of times during uh, when we have our book study and when we have some holidays, we're going to spend the rest of the year on a journey through Paul's letters to the Corinthian church. And um, today we're going to continue that journey and we're going to focus on the cross. 
So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Uh, and if you don't have your Bibles, we got plenty of Bibles because we are a church. So grab one of those Bibles from underneath the chairs. Uh, and as Pastor Billy likes to say, we love it when our, when our Bibles go missing. If you need a Bible at home, take it home with you. If you have some friends of yours that would like a Bible, take it home with you. Um, we just ask that you use them. That's really all we're asking for. That's on page 1,131 of your church Bibles. And as you're looking that up, let me take just a second to, um, to reset or recap what, some of the things that we learned last week. Last week, Pastor Billy um, laid a historical foundation, a, a context for much, if not all, of what we will learn in the year 2022 about who the Corinthian church is. And what we discovered is that in a lot of ways, the folks of Corinth were really not that much different than us. As much as things change, often they remain the same. What we discovered is that the the culture of Corinth was affluent, not unlike ours. That it was um, overly sexualized, not unlike ours. And we know that it was a, a, a society that embraced something called relative truth. You know what that is, right? Relative truth, the people who embrace relative truth are the ones that say, this is my truth. You can have your truth, and if, if your truth and my truth are, are uh, exact opposites of one another, it's okay because we can have our own truth, which means that people who, who embrace relative truth kind of rebel against ultimate truth. Sounds pretty familiar, as Billy said, right? Well, um, this morning, we're, as we look at this, these relative truths and we look at the things that we have in common with the people of Corinth, uh, I also want to um, recognize the fact that there were some fundamental things that we didn't have in common. There were fundamental ways in which we looked at life that was very different from the Corinthians, Christianity in general, for example. Um, to the Corinthians, Christianity was, counter, was counterintuitive. When, when the Corinthians heard about the Christian faith, they were kind of knocked off kilter by the fact that, they, that, that Christianity seemed so um, exclusive. Because you see, to them, they, they, they were exposed to all kinds of religions. But the religions that they were exposed to they, um, they were saying, well, there are lots of different ways to God. But Christians said no. The Christian church would say that there's only one way to God. That seemed weird to them. And what, it, what made it so counterintuitive was that, in one hand, uh, the Christian faith was so exclusive, but on the other hand, it was so inclusive. Because they, the Christians would go out of their way to say, everybody has access to God. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter whether you're a male or a female. It doesn't matter whether you're a slave or a king. Everybody has the same access to God as the next person. Now, to many in the Corinthian culture, that sounded pretty awesome. But there was a stumbling block that most of them could not get past. And that stumbling block was the cross. They talk about counterintuitive. It, the cross 
seemed crazy to them. To use the cross as the symbol of your faith seemed, seemed nuts. Imagine it this way. Uh, Billy and I were talking about this between services. Imagine that if you walked into our church, or any church for that matter, and above the altar there was hanging an electric chair, or a hangman's noose, or a guillotine. If you walked into a church that had something like that hanging up above its altar, what would you do? Leave, <laughs> right? You should. Well, to the, to the Corinthians, when they, when they heard that the cross was the symbol or the, the centerpiece of, of the Christian faith, they're going, that's nuts! Why, why would you choose something like that as an instrument of pain and punishment and shame? And why? It was into that culture that Paul writes this. Got your Bibles out? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, one of my favorite passages, by the way. He says, the way of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The way of the cross, it sounds nuts to those who don't have faith. The way of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. To those of us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Now there's all kinds of stuff in that one verse that we could take time to unpack. There's all kinds of questions, I imagine, that rise to the surface when you read that one verse. The way of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, and to those of us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Out of all the things and questions that arise out of that verse for me, the most profound question is, what is so powerful about the cross? You see, especially after explaining to you kind of the historical context of what the cross is, I understand why the Corinthians thought that the cross was nutty. Using the cross as a symbol was, was nutso. I get that. But as a Christian, I need to know, you need to know, what is so powerful about the way of the cross? Do you understand what is so powerful about the way of the cross? Now, there are lots of answers to that question. But what I want you to consider specifically this morning is this. So listen closely. Um, if you've been around here at Prairie Bible for any length of time, you've heard me quote, Dozens and dozens of times, one of my, another of my very favorite verses, which is Romans 8.28, and it says this, All things work together for the good. Listen to me. All things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. I love that verse. I love that verse because of the promise that it holds and the power that it claims. All things work together for the good? Really? All things? So when I'm driving down the road and I get a flat tire and I'm already late for my meeting, all things work together for the good, right? You ever thought these things? Like, nah, I don't even know how that's working to the good. But if I step back away from it for a second, I can get, well, you know, I can see how possibly it could and how God might take the circumstances and I can see that maybe a little bit, but let's get a little more serious. 
all things work together for the good? Like when I lose a job or um, a, a cancer diagnosis, um, a wayward child, literally, seriously, all things work together for the good? Is God serious when he says that all things work together for the good? For those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Is there any proof that God is serious when he says all things work together for the good for those who love God? Is there any? Folks, the most powerful proof of that promise we've been talking about all morning. The most powerful proof of the promise that all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to the purpose is that thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've already established the fact that for centuries, that thing, the first thing that came to mind when people thought about that thing was pain and suffering and shame and death. And then something happened. What happened? Jesus happened. In literally, look at me, literally in the hands of Jesus, it was transformed. The meaning and the purpose of the cross was transformed. How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. By the power of God. It is only by the power of God that that kind of transformation is possible. So I told him at the first service, I said, I'm going to go from preaching to meddling, and this is where I'm meddling, okay? So listen close. Um, everything that we've been talking about so far has just been nice theology, history, you know, whatever. This is how all this applies to you. For the power that we've been talking about today to apply to you, you need to figure out where the rubber meets the road, right? So listen, every single one of you in this place today, every single one of you who are listening online or will be listening in weeks to come, every single one of you have crosses in your life things that have made you feel hopeless and broken. Some things you caused yourself, some things you didn't cause, but they're real, and they make you feel broken and hopeless, and that there's no future, right? Listen to me. Today, God is inviting you to give those things into his hands that they might be transformed. So that you might be able to claim the promise in Romans 8.28 that all things, even those things, work together for the good. But the thing you got to understand is that for that promise to belong to you, for that power to be evident in your life in the midst of your crosses, the way for that to be real for you is that you, you know, what's the second part of Romans 8.28? All things work together for, the for those who love God. Listen. All things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For that promise to be manifest in you, 
You must claim it. You must claim Jesus. You must choose to love Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because if this is just an intellectual game for you, if you're just, if you're just playing it at religion, that promise is useless for you. It's only when you accept Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior, and if you haven't done that, you need to. Coming to church today was awesome, and I'm glad you did. But being in church today isn't enough. You need to make the conscious decision for yourself. It's not good enough that your, that your grandma went to church when you were, you went to church with your grandma when you were a kid, or that your, your uncle was a Sunday school. None of that is good enough. This is about you and God. Have you made the conscious decision to accept Jesus Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior? The process of doing that is very simple. It's um, confessing that you've sinned, that you've made mistakes, asking God to forgive you, and instantaneously he does, and then inviting him into your heart. If the image... If I could give you an image of what it means to invite him into your heart, it, everybody has a, a throne in their heart, like a, a king's throne or a queen's throne. And, and most of the time, you're the one that's sitting on that throne. What it means to accept Jesus as your Lord means that you make the conscious decision to get off and let him get on. Have you done that? What are you waiting for if you haven't? Don't make it lightly because I'm telling you right now that a decision like that, though the process is simple, living it is hard because it is giving up authority. It's giving up control. And most of us don't like to do that. But when you give up authority and you give up control and you submit to Jesus... That's when you're able to embrace the promise and the power that we've been talking about today. It belongs to you. Why? Because you're so good? Nope. It belongs to you because he's so good. That makes sense? I'm going to ask the band to come up uh, and prepare to lead us in our final song, but I want to say if if you were one who has not made that decision, um, it would be my privilege to pray that prayer of salvation and lordship with you. Right over there is our prayer room. And um, um, you don't need me to pray that prayer, by the way. You can do it yourself. But if you would like to pray that prayer with your pastor, it'd be my privilege to do so. If you've got something else in your life or someone else in your life that you'd like to pray for with your pastor, I'll be right over there.